1 Corinthians 13, 13. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love. I am a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. I was going to try to find a gong. Are there any cymbals up there? I don't think so. <laughs> Just to give you all a sense, the clashing cymbals. Not today. Not today. <laughs> Just throw some stuff around back. No. (laughs) This past weekend, many of you know that your pastors and three lay delegates from Platwoods traveled to St. Charles for the annual conference of the Missouri United Methodist Church. This is the the annual meeting, the one time of year when we all gather together as a connected denomination of people both to encourage and strengthen one another for our shared ministry, but also it's where we conduct the business of the church. So we did a few notable things this time around. Maybe you've read about it in Pastor Matt's note that he sent out this morning. Um, Maybe you've talked with others about it. A few things that we did that were a little different from other years that I've been. We voted to allow 75 churches in Missouri to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church over differences in understanding of human sexuality. And just for perspective, that's 11% of Methodist churches in Missouri. So um, it's not 11% of Methodists, but 11% of churches. That's what that looks like. And as a result, then, we also passed a budget that was $2 million reduced from last year. That's significant. And really, it's, it shows tremendous fiscal responsibility, I think, on behalf of our conference that keeps us one of the healthiest annual conferences in the region. We also passed two non-binding resolutions. I know you love all of this like meeting speak here, um, but that simply means, non-binding simply means they don't affect any immediate change, but they indicate the will of our conference at the greater church level. So when the general conference meets, our conference has said, these are resolutions that we would like to be considered. It's sort of a temperature check of the larger body, if you will. And one of those resolutions is to form regional conferences so that the church in different places and different cultures around the world and even in the United States can adapt the practice of ministry and the way we um, use the discipline according to our own context. And that's currently already true of conferences that are outside of the United States, but the U.S. itself doesn't have that same latitude for cultural adaptation and contextualization. So this resolution would help solve that problem. And then secondly, we resolved a non-binding resolution to remove the harmful language from our book of discipline that re- regarding the exclusion of LGBTQ people from the call to ordained ministry and from marriage within the United Methodist Church. As you can imagine, it was a weekend full of emotions, lots of different ones. We parted ways with colleagues and congregations, but we also took steps forward toward a future that's less fractured by argument and by hurtful policy and practice. There was great worship. We broke bread together, both in communion, but also at lots of restaurants in St. Charles with, with our good friends. And there was some really incredible preaching over the weekend. It's always nice. I didn't have to preach. Well, I did, but I was on video, so I got to hear a lot of other preachers over the weekend. Um, and I want to then steal the gist of one of those messages today. I'm borrowing from my colleague, Reverend Daniel Hilty. Um, loosely. He preached it much better. I'm just taking his idea because I think it's worthy of sharing. He currently serves at Campbell UMC in Springfield, Missouri, but he's moving to Columbia to serve the flagship church there, um, Missouri United Methodist. It's the the big campus church for Mizzou. Uh, But he built his message around this idea 
of permission to love. Who gives us permission to love? And are there parameters to it? And what do we do with it? So if we stop and reflect for a moment on the culture and the environment and the ethos that we have been a part of, oh, for a decade, maybe, maybe longer, we've allowed ourselves to become deeply, sometimes painfully, defined by our groups. Think about that. We all have them. It's part of human nature to clump together with people who hold things in common with us, right? It's not necessarily a bad thing to begin with. There are the basketball kids and the football kids at school, right? This starts really early. There are the band nerds and the cheerleaders. I was in the band nerd group. There are MU and KU people. There are baby boomers and millennials. There are Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Green Party. There are Catholics and Evangelicals and mainline Protestants and Charismatics. There are crocheters and there are knitters. Those are different, I hear. There are pickleballers and mahjongers. Human beings naturally form groups. We all have them. And that's great, because human beings were created for community. We, are, we need one another. We're meant to be together. But something else can happen in groups when we become too defined by them. We can lose our freedom, our permission to love. Sometimes we become so identified with our group, whatever it is, our friends who all watch the same news channel, our dog lovers Facebook group, our Sunday school class, that we start to believe that our allegiance must remain with them and them alone. If they all seem to think a particular way about a particular other group of people, we want to preserve our place within that group and we feel that we have to think that way too. This becomes a problem when it keeps us from loving. Loving anybody that stands outside that group or especially in opposition to it. We then look to our group for permission about who to love. Democrats need permission from Democrats to love Republicans, and vice versa. They're not going to get it. Cardinals fans are not going to get permission from other Cardinals fans to show love to Royals fans, even though they really need it. Dog lovers look to other dog lovers to see if it's okay to have a friend who's a cat lover. Seekers Sunday school class members may try to hide it if they befriend an around 30s member. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> These are kind of silly examples, but you, you get the idea. There are more serious examples. We gravitate into groupthink where we don't let ourselves love someone if our group doesn't already collectively love them. Where are you getting your permission to love? If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong, a clashing cymbal. I can say a lot of words. I can have a lot of opinions. I can speak beautifully or loudly or eloquently or passionately about a great many things. I can be convincing or persuasive or compelling, but if I don't have love, it is all noise. It is a distraction. It is a nuisance to all who hear my voice. We can practice the talking points, can outline the arguments, make the case for any group we are in, any perspective we've aligned with, we all do this. But if we don't have love, we are just making a lot of noise 
and no one can hear us. And we feel that because we've been on the other end of noise too. The words and accusations and proclamations and ultimatums that have no grounding in love. It is clanging and obnoxious and it drowns out the music of love. We do not need to look to our close friends for permission to love anyone and everyone. We do not need to look to our family. There is no group, no matter how much we identify with them, that has the power to permit us to love anybody else. There's one person, and one person alone, who gives us permission to love. And that person is Jesus. Jesus, who told the disciples who held the children back to let them come. Jesus, who visited the Samaritan woman at the well when everybody else walked the other way. Jesus, who touched the lepers on their skin when the community had sent them outside the city walls. Jesus, who commanded Peter to put down his sword and then reaffixed the ear of the Roman guard who was arresting him. Jesus gives us permission to love. Not just those in our groups, in our circles, in our shared perspectives, in our similar affinities. You have permission to love across every line imaginable, especially the ones that no one else can imagine. Whose permission do you need to stop waiting for? Because if you're waiting, you're probably never going to get it. And if you step into Jesus' permission instead, who might it lead us to love? Will you pray with me? God, you are love. You are life. You make us for one another. And yet sometimes and somehow we manage to tear ourselves apart from one another. Remind us that we need permission from no one, no group, no creed, no culture, to love as you have commanded us to love. May we be a people, a church, who love extravagantly, who throw our arms wide open, no matter what anyone thinks. So there's a place at your table for all your beloved. Amen.